Thank you for being a listener of the We Are LA Tech podcast. To support and collaborate with the community, become an MVL Most Valuable Listener. You'll have ad-free episodes and join us on our monthly Zoom calls with other podcast listeners and get to know the community at wearelatech.love. Linked in the show notes. What he says to the founder is that he felt like he wasn't being challenged enough. And that was something that a couple different founders told me that one of their biggest issues was with retention, especially among product people and engineers, was that they didn't feel challenged. Imagine living your normal day and getting your car fueled up on demand. Seriously. Check out LA Startup Refill Fuel and enter code WeRLATech for $10 off. That's Refill Fuel. It's amazing. Literally, you can be anywhere and have your gas totally topped off the tank and not even have to deal with it. No more gas stations. So go to refillfuel.com. That's R E F I L L F U E L.com. Code WeRLATech for $10 off. We could not do this without the community believing in our vision together. We Are LA Tech is independently funded, funded by you, the community. So to support We Are LA Tech, go to patreon.com slash we are LA Tech. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash we are LA Tech. Welcome back to the We Are LA Tech podcast. We had an awesome private fireside chat with the author of the popular new novel, Startup, here in Beach House Cowork. It was such an awesome night. We were able to record the interview. So you are about to listen to an in-person interview with the author of Startup. Picture a fire behind us and us talking with a vibrant audience listening, tuned in to this first-time author capturing what it is to live inside this startup culture. Enjoy our conversation. So let's get the night started. As you guys know, my name is Esprit Devora. I created We Are LA Tech in 2012, and I'm really proud of it. My sole purpose in doing everything that I do is to unite the LA Tech community in a really authentic way to create life experiences. Everything's super meaningful that I do. And um, when I saw Dory speak, I was like, oh, my God, I have to have you like and, Aww, sh- and share your talent and your brilliance with like the LA Tech community. And so you guys know. Um, we have the podcast, which you can go to wearelatech.fm. And um, the, our studio, you probably walked past it. We have a sound studio where we record the podcast. If you'd like to be featured on the podcast, just reach out to me or someone on the team. And um, the whole reason why the podcast exists is to feature all of you guys and to bring all of you together. So let's start doing that. Dory, Okay, you want to go <laughs> ahead and introduce yourself? Yeah, sure. Um, I'm Dory Shafrir. I am the author of Startup. Yeah. Um, which came out in April. Um, I'm also a senior tech writer at BuzzFeed News, and um, I've been a journalist for over 10 years. Um, this is my first novel, and I'm really happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Congratulations. Thank you. <laughs> I'm really excited to have her here, and I know you guys have been messaging me 
an insane amount of questions about Dory's process and writing a book and how she did the research. So I asked Dory, I asked for her permission before if we could make this a really interactive conversation and definitely fireside chatted up, but really it's about conversing with you guys and us just not speaking to you. So to kind of kick it off, um, I'd like to actually start the conversation here and then lead into it, but please feel free to like, just shout out your question or raise your hands. Again, this is about a collaborative experience. Um, um, so when did you first realize that you're a writer? Oh boy. Um, I mean like really early on as a kid, yeah. I was always like making up stories. Um, but then as I grew up, I think I kind of veered more towards journalism and, right. you know, worked on the high school paper and yeah. like worked on the paper in college. And like, that was always my thing. Yeah, totally. Um, but yeah, it was like always something that I did. I think it was just like the way I process the world. Awesome. And did you have any formal, I mean, you've now you're a senior writer at BuzzFeed, mm -hmm. you're an editor at Rolling Stone. Yep. Did you have any formal training to get there? Yeah. So I was an English major in college um, and I worked on the school paper. Um, and then I did get a master's in journalism at Columbia, um, which I guess is pretty formal <laughs> training. Um, I don't have like I don't have an MFA. I don't have formal training in creative writing. Um, but yeah, I do have a master's in journalism. And when was the idea sparked to say, I want to write this book about startups? So it actually came about almost randomly, um, two and a half years ago. So the end of 2014, um, I was in a very managerial role at Buzzfeed where I wasn't producing, I really wasn't producing any content. I was managing a team and editing. Um, and I felt kind of frustrated and that I, I felt like I needed my own kind of project. Yeah. And so, um, I decided I made a New Year's resolution and I was like, I'm going to write every day for the month of January. Like every morning, I'm going to write for at least half an hour yeah. um, and I'm just going to free write and see what happens. And then um, I just I started thinking about the whole tech scene in right. New York and also sexual harassment, which is a big plot point in my book. Um and I just started like creating this world yeah. and it started with some characters and like I said, this world. And then as the month wore on, I realized that I was kind of developing a story, yeah. which was weird for me because I'd never written fiction before. Right. So I was sort of like, what, what's happening? But, but you say <laughs> fiction, but when I was reading your book, I, I felt like it was real. It didn't feel fictional. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's made up. It's it completely made up. Um, but I guess I wrote it in the style that I would write like a like I wrote it in the style that felt authentic to yeah, me. Yeah, yeah. Which and you know, my background is in journalism. Yeah. Um so yeah, so I guess thank you. <laughs> um, but yeah, so that was how it started really. Yeah. And how how did you start to do like actually let me skip back for a moment. When did you first become fascinated by the world of startups itself? Because you didn't start writing about startups. No, but I, you know, I've always been interested in tech and startups and, um, I worked at Gawker in 2006 when it was like very much a startup yeah. and we were in like a storefront in Soho and there were like 20 people working there and it had a very kind of startup feel right. to it. Um, and then later I was freelancing. So this was in 
probably like 2010. Right. Um, and I wrote a cover story for New York Magazine about the New York tech scene. And it was sort of like, hey, there's <laughs> tech in New York. Right. Um, and profiled a bunch of different companies and a bunch of people in that whole scene. Um, and that was when I met, like I met a ton of people Um many of whom I'm still in touch with now, like some of whom I became friends with. And so I always felt kind of if I wasn't writing about startups that I was sort of like startup adjacent because I knew all these people working at all these New York startups. And then in 2012, I went to her for Buzzfeed, which at the time had 65 people and was in this like old flat iron building and like, I mean, very much like self-identified as a startup was like very much a startup. I mean, now it has 1700 people. So it's obviously grown a lot. Um, But at the (laughs) time, yeah, just a little. (laughs) Um, But at the time it was really like a startup startup. Um, And so I feel like that kind of like threw me back into the New York startup world. And then after I'd been working there for about a year and a half, I moved out to LA. Um, But went back to New York a lot for work. And, and yeah, actually I want to talk about that. So you moved here to Los Angeles from New York. Yes. This is the Los Angeles tech scene. Why did you, why did you move here? (laughs) Um, I grew up on the East coast. I went to college on the East coast. I worked on the East coast. Like I had lived on the East coast my whole life. And, um, I was coming, I, you know, I had friends in LA and I would come out to LA and every time I came out to LA, I was like, Oh, everything's so nice here. (laughs) Like, why don't I live here? Um, and then Buzzfeed was going to open an office in LA and I was coming out here to hire some people, um, and help open the office. You know, again, this was when we were still like really small. Um, and they were like, yeah, we kind of need like a senior person. And, you know, I'd been there for like a year at that point, but I was a senior person because we just, you know, we were really small. Um, to move out there. And I was like, great, I'll do it. (laughs) Um, So it was kind of a confluence of like personal, just feeling like I needed a change and Buzzfeed being like, okay, we need someone to go out there. And in your research, your research was very, if I remember correctly, it was very East coast heavy. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and now you're really passionate about exploring the LA tech culture, but let's talk about your research. Yeah. How did you plot out doing your research? What was your strategy? But actually, how long did it take to write your book? Um, from start to turning in my first draft was about a year and a half. It's crazy. Um, and then I was in edits for a few months. Um, and then it was like pretty much finalized by the fall of last year. Yeah. And then it came out in April. Cool. And the research. The research. Yeah. So, um, the, the biggest aspects of my book that I really felt like I needed to research the most were um, the perspective. One of the characters in the book is a 28 year old guy who's a startup founder. And that was the most kind of unfamiliar territory for me personally. Like I'm not a guy, you know, I, I, I've never started a company. Um, I just felt like, OK, this is this is an area that I really like if I want the character to feel authentic, I really need to kind of do some. Right research. So what I ended up doing was I spoke to probably about a dozen founders. It ended up being men and women um, and not all founders, but like people in the startup world in New York and just talking to them on background, just like, what has your experience as a, as an entrepreneur been like, what are the challenges that you face? Um, You know, what's it like to grow and, you know, just all those kinds of questions that, 
I didn't really understand until I spoke to those people right. and they were like extremely generous with their time. Yeah. Um, cause I wasn't like quoting them in the, in the book right, or anything. Right. Um, I was just kind of using their stuff as, um, as background. Um, and then the other aspect that I felt the most unfamiliar with was, um, the venture capital aspect. Yeah. And there's a scene in the book where the founder goes and pitches, um, a VC firm and, um, I was like, I've never done that. <laughs> I've never like watched a pitch. Like I'm not a VC. That's just not my world. Um, but I, I ended up talking again. I ended up talking to a couple of VCs on background um, just about like, what, what does a good pitch look like? Right. Like, what do you, how, how do you decide to fund someone? Like, et cetera, et cetera. And so I was able to sort of like put that into the, into the book. I'm wondering how open and candid were people like, especially venture capitalists, like how real did people actually get? And how did you set up a situation for them? I mean, you're a journalist mm -hmm. for them to really know you weren't going to quote them or put that somewhere. Um, well, one of the venture capitalists I interviewed was someone I'd gone to high school with. So someone that yeah. I'd like grown up with. So I think he trusted me. Um, right. And he was, pr I mean, and look, I had nothing to base on, like, if they weren't being that open with me, or if they were making stuff up, like, I had nothing to sort right. of compare that to. So right. um, I just had to kind of go on what he told me and right. what someone else told me. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think, you know, I think people were sort of intrigued by the idea of like, the fictionalization of this world right. and wanting to kind of like be a part of it in a way. Right. Um, so that was really cool. And I was, I was actually blown away by how open and generous people were. Like mm -hmm. I wasn't really expecting people to say like, yeah, totally like come by my office and I'll talk to you for two hours. Yeah. And um, so that was, that was awesome. And what, as you got that information, did you do a heavy amount of research first and then start the writing or did you do them in tandem? I kind of did them in tandem. I had done like a, I'd done a bunch of writing. Um, I'd actually finished a draft of the book before I did any of this research. And my agent was like, eh. yeah. <laughs> like she wasn't super into it. Um, and then I ended up like rewriting the first hundred pages. Right a million times and we ended up selling it with those hundred pages plus an outline. Um, so that sold in November of 2015. And then um, I took a couple months off of Buzzfeed. Right. Um, and that was when I started doing the research. So I was able to kind of integrate the research that I had done with the writing that I'd already done and then kind of move forward with the book a little bit and easier. Now, you said you're a first-time author, mm -hmm. but you have an agent. Yeah. How do you get an agent as a first-time author? So, um, so I had actually had, I had a book before this um, that I did with a woman named Jessica Gross, who now edits Lenny Letter. Um, and she and I had a blog in like 2008 um, that was just like a collection of texts and emails from people's moms. And we turned that into a book, yeah. um, back when like people turned blogs into books. Right. <laughs> um, and so that was, I guess, technically my first book, but we didn't really like write that much. Like we just kind of compiled it. So I don't really consider that my first yeah. book. Um, so I'd had an agent for that book previously, and then she ended up, uh, leaving agenting. She just like stopped being an agent. Um, and I wrote a piece for slate in 
2011 and um, this, my current agent read it and really liked it and contacted me and was like, do you have an agent? I was like, no, my agent actually like quit. Right. (laughs) So we had lunch and we really got along. And I think she always thought I was going to write a nonfiction book. Right. Um, so then when I started working on this and I was like, I've been working on something, but it's fiction. And she's like, Oh, okay. (laughs) Um, but that was how I got an agent. Um, there's like many different ways of getting agents, which I'm happy to talk about if people are interested. Yeah. Does anybody want to hear about that? How to get an agent? Is that something? I actually, I'm glad you asked in general. So when you guys came tonight, what's one thing that you really wanted to find out more about? Like, what were you super interested in in discovering? Okay. Advice from VCs. Yeah. Um, well, I can, I can speak a little bit to that. I mean, it's, it's kind of secondhand <laughs> advice. Um, but I think one thing that, that several people told me was, um, they really look at like the strength of the team. Um, and that's something that is just like very important to them. Um, that the founders like has surrounded themselves with really good people. Um, they, oh God, what else did they talk about? The, they, and I'm blanking on kind of what exactly what they told me, but they had like one of them had a specific kind of format and order for how the pitch deck was supposed to look. Um, and she was like very specific about that. Um, but I don't remember like exactly what she told me. Um, gosh. Um, Any deal breakers? You know, it was interesting. Like, different people have different deal breakers. So, one thing that some people told me was like, if they later, let's say the person did their pitch and then later they took them out for lunch and they were like super arrogant, um, like that was a real turnoff. Or if they, you know, if they clearly like didn't know, um, if they were like making up, potential audience numbers, like that kind of thing. Like if you have an app and someone says, you know, how big do you think this can grow? And you're like, it can be for the whole world. Like, you know, that kind of thing. Like (laughs) um, they, I think they're very like sensitive to, and obviously like, can your idea make money was like, you know, that's the number one concern. Um, But the arrogance thing was interesting. Like, you know, one thing that they said to me that I hadn't really thought about was like, we're investing in these people and we like, we're really investing in them. Um, and we want them to be people that we can work with and who will like take feedback from us. And, you know, if it's just someone who just thinks that whatever they say or whatever they think is, you know, it's going to be right, then they don't want to work with that person. So I thought that was interesting and like something that I hadn't really thought about. So does that, does that <laughs> answer your question? Awesome. What other questions? Like what's one thing that you wanted in coming here tonight? Differences in the Los Angeles tech yeah. scene versus the New York tech scene. Well, I mean, I think some of them are just due to the differences of LA and New York in general, which I mean, the number one thing to me is geography. Um, just like, yes, there is the Silicon Beach area, but like not every startup is in this area. Um, whereas in New York, like it really is concentrated in Flatiron and Dumbo um, and Williamsburg to some extent, but it's like, it's so much easier to get around. Um, so I think that's one big thing. Um, there's definitely more like entertainment related things here. Whereas in New York, I think there's more, much more like media 
centric stuff. Like in New York, it does feel like a lot of the companies, just from what I've observed, like a lot of the companies that start there are in some way connected to the, like the big legacy industries of New York city, like advertising, fashion, media, um, finance. Um, and you know, because you don't, um, you don't have all of those here. Um, I think it's, you know, it's kind of a different, a different vibe in that, in that sense. Does that help answer your question? Awesome. <laughs> How about in the back? Yeah. What's one thing? Yeah. No, he's like looking around. What's one? Yeah. What? Totally. What are some of the, the war stories that you were exposed oh boy. to? Um, well, one thing that came up when I talked to founders was um, the way that they dealt with. Uh, there's, a, there's a scene in the book where um, someone at the the app uh, quits right. and it's like the, the head of product. And what he says to the founder is that he felt like he wasn't being challenged enough Um and that was something that a couple different founders told me that one of the big one of their biggest issues was with retention, especially among product people and engineers, was that they didn't feel challenged. Um, and it wasn't so much like they're not making enough money or they don't have enough equity or whatever. It was that they felt like the problems they were working on were not interesting enough. Um, and I thought that was like, yeah. like, again, that was like a thing that I never would have thought of on my own because I've just never been in that position. Right. Um, so that ended up making it into the book. Um, so Did you ha have any um, stories of heartbreak or loss or challenges that you could share with us? I don't know. I don't know if people were sort of like putting on a brave face for me, but no one had like, a like really, that's the world of tech. Yeah. Right? I mean, no one yeah. had like a truly tragic story. I mean, there were definitely stories where like people had started companies that had failed, but they had started other things. Um, everyone I spoke to was working. Right. So, you know, I don't know if they were trying to sort of like paint a rosy picture for me. Um, but you know, people I spoke to definitely said like they had reached out to, you know, they, when they were fundraising, they right. would, re they would reach out to hundreds of people and maybe get responses from like five. Right. Right. Um, and that was like very common, which I totally. think, you know, I think most entrepreneurs can relate to one of my girlfriends. Um, she pitched a hundred investors before she got funded. She was like, she was, yeah. Oh, you did as well. No, I oh yeah. Go for it, please. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, yeah, go a hundred. <laughs> um, so I think it's really interesting that you started your research more on like a 2015, 2016 time. And you mentioned, I haven't read the book. You mentioned that, um, some kind of like harassment or some kind of incident happened and given the Susan Fowler and mm -hmm. all the fallout that's happened yeah. from that, did that come up in your research? Like, was that prevalent? And so were you just like not surprised at all? So yeah, that's, it's really interesting because, so when I started writing the book, um, do you remember when Whitney Wolf sued Tinder for sexual harassment? So that had just happened and she had just settled with them like a month or two before I started the book. And that, that lawsuit was like, I was totally fascinated and like disgusted by that lawsuit. And, you know, Valley Wag like published their text messages and it was all very like salacious. Um, and I was what I was really struck by in that situation was just how young everyone was and how like clueless they were that this was inappropriate behavior 
for the work. I mean, just in general, but also like particularly for the workplace. Um, and I was like, wow, that's, that's a really common thing, I think, um, at a lot of startups. And then kind of simultaneously, uh, the Ellen Powell trial was ramping up. And then the trial actually started, I think, in February of 2015. So like right when I was like really getting into the book. Um, and I remember that trial. I remember that whole situation because, you know, I'm obviously not an attorney. I don't have like special insight into what happened. But to me, it seemed that she was very credible and had a very strong case. And then she lost the case. And I was just like, wow, how did that happen? Um, and was very kind of shaken by that whole situation. So those two things, the Whitney Wolf lawsuit and the Ellen Powell lawsuit were the two things that were kind of like foremost in my mind. And so I wanted to write a book that addressed sexual harassment, particularly in the tech world. Now, did I necessarily like foresee that all of this stuff was going to happen? No. But in my conversations, especially with women in tech about, you know, about the whole scene, like they told me stuff that was not that great. <laughs> um, you know, women and female entrepreneurs telling me how difficult it was to get funding. Um, and then I recently wrote an article um, for New York Magazine about how women have trouble raising money um, in Silicon Valley. And so I wasn't like shocked. What I was what I was like impressed by was that she was willing to be so outspoken about it. Um, and, you know, go completely on the record. And I think that that has like led to more people speaking out, which I think is great. Um, but it's been weird for me because people are like, oh, you like you predicted this. And I'm like, no, it's actually been going on for a long time. Like, it's not like suddenly there's sexual harassment in tech. Like there's so there's been sexual harassment in the world for a really long time. Um, and I just highlighted it. So. But yeah, now it's like sort of weirdly feels like zeitgeisty, which is kind of, I don't know. I feel very conflicted about that, you know, because it's kind of a gross thing to feel like, oh, I have this peg of sexual harassment. But that is what my book talks about. So does that answer your question? Yeah. Sweet. <laughs> awesome. Um, Brie, how about you? What's one thing that you wanted to discover from coming tonight? Well, I really appreciate you talking about being in the startup adjacent role. I currently work in the nonprofit world, but we consider ourselves a nonprofit startup. Mm -hmm. um, and I work in both private and public sector. So I'm curious if you see any sort of culture permeation in those industries and if you think there are lessons to be learned or cautionary things. Permeation from startups into other industries? Um, yeah, I mean, I'm not I'm not really familiar. I'm not super familiar with that many other industries besides media and startups. Um, so I can't like really speak to how deeply startup culture has permeated, you know, other industries. Um, I do think that at least in terms of like competition for employees, 
Um, it does, it seems to me just from my observations that some of these like legacy industries have felt the pressure to kind of be more like startups, um, whether that means like having more snacks or, you know, having like a flatter org chart or whatever. Um, you know, it seems like some, some of them are trying to like appeal to people in their twenties and to do that, they feel like they need to become more like startups. Um, whether or not that works, I, I don't know. <laughs> um, I've certainly worked at plenty of places that did not feel the need to become more like startups. So, um, yeah, I mean, I think I think there's obviously like really great things about startup culture, too. Um, and I think, you know, I think working at BuzzFeed, I've seen that. I've definitely seen that, like the way that especially younger employees are empowered at BuzzFeed is like really amazing. And, you know, there's none of this attitude of like, oh, well, you're young and inexperienced. Like you shouldn't weigh in on anything or you can't have ideas. Like everyone's ideas are taken seriously. Um, and I think that's something that a lot of companies like should learn from. And that feels to me like a very kind of startup culture thing. Um, so hopefully you know, that can happen. <laughs> what questions do you have coming tonight? I was curious. Um, so you mentioned, you know, your background is in journalism and you're writing this book about startups, but start, as part of writing the book, you kind of come up with a startup. So I was curious <laughs> about how you created your startup and decided on what it would be. Yeah. So it's actually really funny because, so the, the startup in the book is a mindfulness app that um, kind of uses your own, I guess it uses like sentiment analysis of everything that you're producing on social media, um, texting, like it really kind of like invades your privacy um, to gauge what your mood is. And then it sends you like inspirational, you know, push notifications or like a funny GIF or, you know, a suggestion to like take a walk to calm your nerves or whatever. Um, so after I made up this app, like now there are several apps that are like very similar. Um, and I don't think that they like read my book and were like, Oh, we need to do that. I just think it was like something that was sort of like in the zeitgeist. Um, but that's like kind of funny to me. Um, there's another app in there. Yeah. There's also like one of the failed apps in the book is an Uber for strollers. And recently there was a, a failed company that was supposed to be like an Uber for umbrellas. <laughs> I was like, Oh my God. Um, so, um, yeah. So I don't know. I like, I, I think I'm one of those annoying, like I'm one of those people who like comes up with ideas, but can't really execute them. So if, you know, if people want to execute on any of the ideas I have in here, you're welcome to <laughs> Did I answer your question. Awesome. Ryan, how about you? Why did you want to be here? Um, I, I was curious to hear what the book's about. I've, I've not read it. Um, it sounds wonderful. Looking forward to reading it. Thanks. Um, I, I'm curious about your, your writing process. Uh, as you're, as you're going through the writing process, do you imagine a, a particular audience? Do you imagine you're speaking to somebody or is it more of just like a stream of thought that you just sort of, you know, produce and yeah. Um, I mean, this is going to sound like incredibly narcissistic, but I really just pictured myself um, <laughs> as the reader. Like I wrote the book that I wanted to read um, and was like, well, I hope other people want to read it, too. Um, but, you know, I don't think I don't think that this is a book for like everyone. Um, I definitely think that it will appeal to more to certain people more than others. Um 
And, but I definitely, as I was writing it, I was like, I am the audience for this book. I, you know, I don't know how else I, I'm sure other people have ways that they kind of picture a specific audience, like whether it's like moms or, you know, men over 50 or whatever, but I couldn't really do that. Um, and then in terms of how I wrote, I think the first few months I thought I was writing my book, but what I was really doing was like creating a world and like getting to know my characters. And I wasn't actually writing my book. Like the, it, the plot wasn't really going anywhere. Like I had the idea for the plot in my mind, but I didn't really know how to make it work. And I just kept, I, what I kept doing was I kept inventing more characters. And <laughs> so my book is told from the perspective of three different characters, but at one point it had six and my agent was like, um, this is too many characters. <laughs> um, but I think I just like, I couldn't get to the actual plot. And so my kind of method of like procrastinating or, I guess getting deeper into the world was just like creating these other characters. And then I snapped out of it. <laughs> Does that answer your question, Ryan? Sweet. How about you? What was the, what, yeah. What was, uh, was there any indication from the people that you were interviewing as to what they thought the next big technology leap would be in you know, five years? Um, gosh, no. Um, the, I, I remember one of the VCs I talked to at the time, he was like, I think he was saying that he was like over green tech and I like, I don't know. They just sort of like said all these things to me about that, that I now don't remember. So I don't want to mislead you. He might've said green tech was what he was investing in. I don't remember. Um, that was like not super relevant to what I was writing. So I think I just didn't really absorb it. Sorry. <laughs> what other questions do we have? Yeah, Casey? I think, um, I have two questions. I think one would be, what is the most, who is the most interesting person you interviewed? And then back to the agent question of, I mean, you got yours magically. Yeah. <laughs> uh, a normal person go about getting one? <laughs> um, well, I'll answer that question first and give myself a little bit more time to think about the, <laughs> the other one. Um, so the typical way that you get an agent is you've, uh, if you, if you're writing fiction, you generally have to write the whole book and then you query an agent and you, there's like, if you just Google like agent queries, you can find all these sort of like, it's basically like a form letter where you just explain what your book is about. Um, and then if the, if that kind of like piques the agent's interest, they will ask you for either, you know, a couple chapters or the whole book. Um, and then if you are writing a nonfiction book, nonfiction books generally don't get written before they sell. Um, you generally write a proposal. So, it, but it would be the same kind of idea that you, you know, you have this query and you lay out your idea um, for the agent and just kind of like explain who you are and what your background is. And, and I think another important thing is to kind of research. Um, every agent has a specialty. So, you know, you're not going to query agents in romance if you're writing, you know, a book about World War II. Um, and so, but there's like a million, there's, a million directories of agents. So you can just kind of like find one there. Um, and then the most interesting person I interviewed. Hmm. Well, I probably learned the most from the VC I interviewed. Like the, there were two VCs I interviewed and then, but I'm, I'm thinking mostly of the, 
one I went to high school with, uh, I think because he was he was just like very open with me. Now, he lives in Silicon Valley, so he's not actually a New York VC, but he gave me like an overview of that world and just kind of like told me. And he was he was previously an entrepreneur, so he also had that perspective. Um, so that was I think just because I I probably knew the least about that world that was like the most interesting to me and just a side not really side note but people that are listening to the podcast right now or watching the video and everybody's sitting here where can they buy the book where can they find out more well (laughs) um you can buy the book at your local bookstore you can order it on amazon or barnes and noble um or wherever you buy your books and just Um, search startup just search startup a novel or search my name um, and it will come up. Um, it's also an ebook. It's Can an audio book. your name for everyone oh, listening? Yes. Uh, it's D-O-R-E-E. And my last name is Shafrir, S-H-A-F as in Frank, R-I-R. Um, yeah. And it's an ebook and an audio book. Awesome. Yeah. And who did your audio book? So they hired a woman in Atlanta. And who, who is they? Uh, my publisher. How did you get your publisher? Um, so my agent sent it out to a bunch of different editors and Little Brown bought it. Um, and they have an audiobook division that that whole process was like pretty mysterious right. to me. Um, I didn't really have any say. I didn't even like speak to the people in the audiobook <laughs> department. Um, and at one point I was like, would it be possible to like hear the people's voices before we choose them? And they just like ignored my email. <laughs> so I was like, okay. But then <sighs> I have not listened to the audiobook. I don't like audiobooks. <laughs> um, but someone told me that the reader says GIF instead of GIF. And that like, <laughs> I got so angry. I got like irrationally angry about this. Um, yeah. And like, like I fired off all these texts, to my agent and was like, can you believe that they did this? And she was sort of like, <laughs> like it sucks, but like, like it's not the end of the world. Um, but I was very upset about that um, because they had asked me all these other, they, they'd asked me like how to pronounce several of the names in the book. And so I was like, you asked me how to pronounce the names, but you said Jif. I don't know. <laughs> it just really bothered me. Um, so I just want everyone to know that I did not endorse <laughs> the Jif. <laughs> um, so, yeah. Melissa, do you have a question? No, you're good. <laughs> All right. I want, I actually want to take a moment. Melissa and a bunch of other amazing people are here volunteering. I'll have them come up after, but like no, no We Are LA Tech event could ever be possible without the community uh, supporting one another. So I just really appreciate you guys. Like, look, they're still like, they're all standing in the back, like at your service. Mm-hmm. They're, they're amazing humans. And Gerald's been, Gerald's our We Are LA Tech photographer. He's been shooting with me since 2014. Raise your hand. And now he shoots for General Assembly as well. And few other people and so it's been a really exciting journey where can people find you on twitter i am at dory d-o-r-e-e it's pretty easy yeah yeah <laughs> dory thank you so much for thank hanging you. out with we are la tech and here in la this has been awesome right we are la tech is independently funded by the community we couldn't make this happen without your support If you too want to contribute to We Are LA Tech and see us making the podcast, building the mobile apps, 
creating the events year after year, consider contributing at patreon.com. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash we are LA tech. Thank you. We appreciate you. Thank you for being a listener of the We Are LA Tech podcast. To support and collaborate with the community, become an MVL Most Valuable Listener at wearelatech.love. Linked in the show notes.